Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Bob Vecchioni, and I hope you all enjoyed a safe and relaxing holiday weekend. Thanks for joining us for this week's NACTA virtual programming session. We're excited to bring you today's session on a recent hot topic in our industry. This afternoon's session is titled Understanding Student-Athlete Waivers, Acknowledgements, and Pledges for Return to Play. We will give each of you insight into some of the practices and procedures being implemented by departments across the country in an effort to uphold established health and safety standards as student athletes return to campus. Today, we're joined by NACTA third vice president, Rick Hart, director of athletics at Southern Methodist University, Diana Sabo, direct, deputy director of athletics at The Ohio State University, and division two athletics director association, verse VP, Brent Stevens, director of athletics at the University of Charleston. Each of our panelists will share with you some of the elements of their departments and institutions have executed to ensure the safety of both student athletes and the broader campus community as they attempt to return to a different normal this academic year. Before we begin, I'd like to remind our live attendees that you can ask questions throughout the session using the Q&A Zoom button at the bottom of your window. We have a lot of time for all your questions at, at the end of the presentation, so please feel free if something comes to your mind, <clears throat> place, place a question in the chat room, and then Rick will coordinate the questions towards the end of the session. Rick, Diane, and Bren, thanks for joining us today. And Rick, the floor is yours. All right, great. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I wanna begin by saying uh, and echoing Bob's comments. I hope everybody is healthy and well. Um, I think that's obviously the most important thing these days. I also want to thank Bob and Katie and the NACTA staff, not just for supporting and facilitating today's webinar, but for all the virtual programming that you've put together during this uh, challenging and disruptive time. I know that it's been extremely valuable as we all continue to look to connect and learn and share ideas with one another in support of our student athletes and our staff. So thank you very much for, uh, for making that a priority. And also, again, just to welcome and thank uh, Bren and Diana for joining me today as uh, we navigate not just the uh, waiver acknowledgement form pledge uh, documents that, that you know, the, the uh, title suggests, but also more broadly, as Bob alluded to, um, thoughts and ideas on what we're dealing with on our campuses and some of the things that we've put together and who's been involved with the processes to provide for a safe return to campus for our student athletes and our staff. So with that, um, let's get started. I wanted to just start off, uh, Brent and Diana, by asking each of you just to share briefly, you know, what is the current state of affairs on your campus today uh, and in your community? Do you have student athletes on campus or your, is your staff back at work? Um, and, and, and what does that look like and feel like right now? Well, I'll go ahead and start, Diana, and then I'll let you jump to you. Uh, you know, Rick, we are just now getting our folks back on campus. So this was the first week where we're starting to bring some of our coaching staff back. And unlike some of the larger division ones, we did not bring people back for summer workouts or for camp. So we've, we've basically been a closed campus. Uh, the state of West Virginia, um, you know, has been, you know, locked down a lot of the time. And so it is reopened, but it's uh, Last night uh, at midnight, our governor passed uh, that everyone must wear masks when, uh, you know, outside of their house, wherever they're going. And so 
uh, as we're seeing some of this, these protocols come forward, I, I think we really have remained uh, hypervigilant trying to keep people safe in Charleston and also obviously on our campus. Great. And Diana, how about, how about what's it like there in Columbus? You know, before I get to Columbus, I do want to thank all of the participants today for their uh, dedication, their patience, and just uh, their fortitude in keeping our enterprise in service to student athletes at a high level during this crisis and this challenging time that no one has a playbook for. So thank you all for participating, but thank you for what you do every day because we know it's challenging. Um, in Columbus here right now, we, uh, we are still work from home. Uh, the Ohio State University is not open. Uh, we have phased back our student athletes. We have 198 student athletes on campus for our fall sports only. Uh, we look to bring that, uh, some of our other sports back, but that won't be uh, until the end of the month. We wanna make sure that we do this slow. We wanna make sure that we do this right. In many of our cities and local municipalities surrounding Columbus and in Columbus, it is now mandatory to also wear a face mask. And this is our new normal because we really believe this is a societal responsibility. And um, like everyone, your campus is a community and it's a very important com community. So how can we keep that safe? Well, we're all taking the lead from, you know, federal, state, local officials, medical personnel, uh, it's a different environment for, for all of us here in Texas. Uh, you know, we've actually been open for a while. Uh, in fact, our staff has been back uh, on campus for about six weeks. Um, our student athletes began to arrive back on campus in small groups beginning June 15th. Uh, and we've staggered that. And so, you know, again, just to hear each of you talk just been a little different. We, unfortunately, I think some of the data showed this. I think in Texas, we got perhaps a little comfortable. And, um, and now our governor has also come back and mandated that masks be worn in public and so on. So as we transition, and Diana, I wanna follow up with a question. The way you describe it, your campus is closed, but you do have 198 student athletes on campus. So this will start to transition a little bit into some of the things, the steps that we've all taken to prepare for that, including a waiver or a pledge or whatever it might've been that we felt was appropriate for education or for accountability or for uh, liability purposes. But um, how was that received by your student athletes and families and others, media, faculty, staff, that you have student athletes on your campus, but your campus is closed? In order for us to offer the opportunity for voluntary workouts, we wanted to bring our student athletes back to an environment that we knew would be the safest for them. We know that when our student athletes are at our facilities, much like um, many of you across the country, you know you practice the best CDC requirements. You know that you have safety at the top of every pyramid of decisions that you make for your student athletes. So we wanted to reasonably and slowly phase them back into uh, the environment that was best protective for them. Uh, with that being said, we had to work diligently with our university COVID task force transition team which is made up of numerous medical experts from on our campus and throughout the city of Columbus. We had to work with our safe campus task force as well and our executive teams across campus to make sure that what we wanted to do as an athletics department was in complete alignment with the university. 
And that was really important, not only for us as establishing a cornerstone to build on, but also to be a good partner across the enterprise of college athletics, because we were doing this first on our campus. So we knew um, we worked in drafting our Buckeye Acknowledgement Pledge um, with our campus, with the task force, with our legal affairs office, with our head coaches, with our student athletes, um, with focus groups across campus of students with um, with our parents. It's been really important for us as we've gone through this COVID period that we've stayed in constant communication. Our communi we are only as successful as our communication, so our communication and our messaging has been often and has been um, repetitive in many ways. But we had to t kind of take the narrative of COVID and make it um, seem localized and seem realistic to our student athletes. And the fact that we needed to heighten their awareness and their parents' awareness of the virus and heighten uh, their responsibilities and their uh, acknowledgement on how they can affirm, or in many cases reaffirm, their importance to our community as a campus and their importance of their decision making because really as Buckeyes, my health is your health and your health is my health. And so the decisions that I make uh, needs to be uh, comprehensive of all the people in my community on campus. And so that's what we really did with our Buckeye acknowledgement. Um, how was it received? You know, we were one of the first institutions out of the box to um, put it out there. And uh, because we did have communication with our parents of our sports that we brought back in ahead of time, uh, it was received with open arms. It was an educational piece by no means, by no way, shape or form, was this a legal binding document. This was not created like a waiver. Uh, we all know the waivers that we have on campus for facility rentals or participation in um, additional activities. This was not set up like a waiver. In fact, in our uh, acknowledgement, we uh, highlight that this does not affect your scholarship and this does not affect your playing time. But this was really an educational moment so that we could have our student athletes sit up a little bit straighter, realize, and by signing it, they were committing and they were affirming that they realized the impact of this virus and what they needed to do to make good decisions and what it meant to be quarantined or what it meant to be isolated from your team. Um, because a lot of that comes at you fast when you're young and because college is so social, we just wanted to keep emphasizing and keep educating. Um, yeah, I think we, we, uh, we got a lot of media when it first came out, but we've worked through that and it's really been beneficial for our group so far. Great, well, it sounds like my health is your health and your health is my health. That sounds like something you've repeated a couple times here. That's a good tag. Um, Bren, I know when we spoke, you have similar uh, task forces and, and processes and alignment with the university was critical. Describe for us, if you can, you know, what that looked like on your campus and, and some of the things that led you to um, develop and, and introduce, you know, a waiver or an acknowledgement form or a pledge with your student athletes. Sure. So we had the president put together a task force with about 40 different individuals from across campus. Uh, also with some medical professionals as well. Um, there were five components of that task force in which we we're looking at, you know, areas of health and safety and then, you know, the supply chain and many other, uh, you know, items that needed to be, you know, reviewed. And um, that was also shared with our board of trustees, you know, at that time. I additionally put together my own task force within the athletic department, you know, with our athletic trainers, some members of our coaching staff, and again, our team physician and others to look at 
what are some of the things that the university is not looking at that's going to be related to athletics, right? There are going to be things like, you know, how are we going to handle things when we get on the bus to travel to a destination? What do we want to have in place in those uh, circumstances? What's going to be those policies? So it may be different than what's going on for the university. Um, and so we had that group focusing on things as well. So I was able to share with what we were working on in athletics, obviously with the members of our task force and then we had weekly uh, cabinet meetings. I serve on the president's cabinet, so we would meet as a group once a week, review what each of those uh, smaller task force within the large COVID task force, you know, were working on. So um, out of that, uh, really coming more from our student life group, our vice president for student life was this honor code and student uh, return agreement form that we had. And so we wanted to put it in place. And I think Diana, we were much like you, it, more from, uh, educational um, you know point of view or perspective we're looking at you know how do we best prepare our student athletes and our students in general whoever is returning to campus uh, how are we going to keep them safe and what we need them to do to help to keep others safe on our campuses so we were uh, we've been very intentional uh, in, in those uh, you know in our plans there so um, you know, we've had things reviewed by legal uh, counsel as well. You know, our, you know, our plans, our policies. Um, we in athletics put a return to play manual together just specific to athletics. That's been reviewed by our legal counsel. So, um, you know, I was sharing earlier with everyone here on the, on the call that, you know, I feel like that's all we're doing right now is COVID stuff. It's a little bit on the frustrating side, but I think that's what we have to do because that's obviously that's our job, right? We wanna make sure that we're taking great care of our athletes and they feel safe when they come back. So we're putting lots of other things in place, which I'll be happy to share as we kind of move through uh, the call. But as far as our, our document uh, is concerned, it's two pages, but it's mainly on educational pieces surrounding uh, COVID and how we plan to try to mitigate risks on our campus. And, you know, we stayed in there that, you know, we're not, you know, our, our goal is not to kick people out of the residential halls and things like that. It is, it is about, hey, let's be smart. How can we keep everybody here for as long as we can, keep everybody safe so that we're able to have athletics in the fall? Excellent. I'll, I'll try not to repeat. Um, I'll share maybe a couple differences. Like, like both of you, we worked with the university administration. We had a task force within athletics. We took that unchallenged authority that we talk about with our trainers and really applied it to this process in terms of we had others to inform or to ask questions or to add some framework. But at the end of the day, the medical personnel and others are really driving our decision-making. And for us, as, as we spoke with colleagues across the country, uh, it seemed like a growing number of, of institutions were either considering or implementing some form of, again, a waiver and acknowledgement form of pledge um, our document in concert with our campus constituents, it absolutely reads more like a legal document. And I would say that we conducted our education and accountability um, a little differently, but that this is pretty clearly intended to bring attention to the fact that we are coexisting with a pandemic. And as a result of that, there are risks and there are responsibilities that are unique and different from what we're used to and that the student athletes and or families um, needed to acknowledge those risks and I suppose uh, at the same time mitigate you know the risk to the institution because number one our student athletes were the only students on our campus 
that were participating in any type of activity. Um, you know, secondly, as a private institution, we don't have any of the protections um, against damages or liability that some of the state institutions may have. And so we did think that was an important component to our document. Um, obviously, our, our student athletes, like at your institutions, during this voluntary uh, period are only in our care for an hour and a half to two hours a day. And so this was a lot about what happens during those other 22 or so hours of the day. Um, you know, and then finally, uh, like Diana um, stated, we wanted to make it clear in writing that this was a voluntary period and that um, if they chose not to participate for any reason, that it would not impact their eligibility or their scholarship. And so that was uh, our intent as we moved forward with the document that, that we developed and distributed. Now, I, I have the role of being the moderator and the panelist, and so I don't want to uh, have an appearance that I'm putting anybody on the spot. There is no COVID cup um, to win <laughs> here, and so I want to just make a little disclaimer that even though some of us are approaching this differently, this isn't about who's right or wrong or doing it better or worse. This is, a, I think, a, an example that, again, so much of this is unprecedented. Diana mentioned the fact that there's not a playbook. You can't call somebody up and say, how did you handle this? We're all doing the best we can. I think of the intent at each of our campuses is to protect and promote the health and safety of our student athletes and to do the best we can with that. And so I just want to be clear that um, you're going to hear different responses. Uh, some of us are proceeding differently. Again, don't, that shouldn't be taken to mean that any one of us are doing it right or wrong. Uh, we're all trying to learn from one another and, uh, and only time will tell, you know, where this all leads. So I do appreciate both of your, your candor and, and uh, your, your um, willingness to share how things have gone thus far. Uh, looking you know, ahead a little bit, um, let, let's talk about and uh, spend some time on what were, the, what were the things that you did to put in place the processes around bringing staff and student athletes to campus? Or in your case, Bren, you know, as you approach that period, you know, what, what are some of the key elements of that plan and process? How did you communicate it? Um, what's, you know, how is it, how has it gone? How have you adapted? If you've already been through some of that, Diana, how have you adapted any of those plans based on what's happening in your community? So Bren, why don't we start with you? Yeah, first I wanna say, Rick, thank you for saying the comment that we, uh, you know, are all gonna have, you know, tackled this problem, uh, you know, differently, right? We're all going through this really vulnerable time and we're just trying to keep kind of somewhat sorted out. So I appreciate uh, that comment. And because uh, we certainly don't have it all figured out. We are, uh, you know, moving ahead, you know, kind of two steps forward, a step back, but we're still trudging ahead forward uh, to get our students back. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, we've put a, quite a few different things in place and, and, and as we're planning on bringing our, our student athletes, our first group will be football that will be coming back around the 10th of August. So as we prepare for them uh, to come back is every student athlete, once they arrive on campus as part of the moving process, they're going uh, to ha have to take a COVID test. And so that first 24 hours as they're moving into their residential halls, we're going to isolate them. They're going to be isolated with their roommate in their room and they're gonna be asked to stay there for the 24 hours, hopefully less, until we get their COVID results back. And then from there, they'll begin to be able to start that process of you know, having some meetings and things with their coaches, the football helmet fittings and things they, they would typically uh, go through. But every single person is gonna have a COVID test. So we're trying to get to that starting place of 
you know, where are we? You know, uh, we have a lot of international students. So as they come back and how does that all fit into the pieces of trying to start off with keeping everyone as safe, especially in the residence halls as, as much as possible. From there, uh, prior to coming to campus, they will all um, participate in what we call, it's a Safe Colleges uh, app that has these different uh, educational modules around COVID. So they'll have to complete those modules, pass a couple of quizzes. And again, it's just another way for us to reinforce, this is the behavior we're expecting you to have when you're here on our campus as we try to keep uh, you know, everyone uh, safe. And uh, additionally, you know, they will have a temperature screening every morning. So as they leave the residential halls, they will automatically have to go through a scanning process. Uh, kind of looks like a scanner on an iPad. They'll go up to that every day, detects whether you're wearing a mask or not, takes your temperature, and out they go. Um, and they will additionally have their temperature taken before they enter any kind of the AT clinic practices or facilities uh, for practices or training sessions. So I think our athletes are going to be so sick and tired of having their temperatures taken. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of uh, pushback on that, but you know, we're, we're just going to really try to, uh, you know, mitigate those risks. So those are some of the things that they'll have to do, you know, answering those questions daily on, on an app, uh, LiveSafe app to, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, they're thinking about COVID every day when they get up in the morning and, and such. So, um, Again, we haven't had our athletes, they're not on campus yet, but as they come back, these are our plans, but who knows, we can pivot in another week or two. I don't know, but that's where we are today. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of pivoting and, uh, you know, there already has been. So Diana, may, could you share a little bit about what the process was when the Ohio State um, student athletes returned? And then maybe if you have some examples of some things that you had kind of outlined and, and maybe things you've had to adapt from that initial plan due to this ever evolving situation? Yeah, you know, I'd like to share with everyone that we all have been listening to our health and our medical experts every day, all day long. And I think they really establish our cadence and our guiding principles. And so all of our decisions are made at the, um, you know, benefit of our student athletes. But because we're so competitive, we want to get after it, right? And we all want to bring back as many and as, um, Many teams, our coaches, our student athletes, have them get ready, have them start preparing. Um, and we, we had to really slow that down. Originally, we had a very aggressive plan that would have had uh, closer to 250 to 300 athletes back by this point. And then we looked at the calendar and we looked at our testing schedule and we are testing our student athletes often, but we're blessed to have those resources. Um, and so in, this, in the cases where maybe you might not have those resources, how can you phase in your approach and de-densify as you are still trying to get your athletes ready for competition. But let's be clear, people are dying over this. Right now, Columbus, Ohio are not where our governor wants them to be. They're rising and we don't, we don't uh, that's not a good thing for us, right? Obviously. Um, so we really, by uh, the first week of June and the second week of June, we took a hard stop at what we were doing. And we had already brought back our football team, those who wanted to come back for voluntary workouts. And then we started to look at our other fall sports. We started slowly bringing them back, but we put a hard stop on our winter sports, which was not a popular decision at first. And our student athletes want to be back. They want that family feeling. They want that community that they've grown to become a part of and that discipline that comes with that. Um, but we had to put a hard stop on that. And we rolled that back um, candidly and confidentially. And we've now um, phased in a much, uh, 
a smarter plan that our medical experts like, a better plan to ensure the health and wellness of all of campus, and um, really a plan that makes it more um, beneficial to our staff so that with these voluntary workouts and the amount of cleaning that our facilities have to go to and the different procedures, you know, our teams are not allowed to use their locker rooms. They're using chairs in facilities and they're coming dressed. And so the extra precautions to be up to the top standard of the CDC takes time and takes energy. And we wanna make sure that our staff stays healthy during this time as well. We can't wear them out so much uh, because we're moving so fast that they become sick. And so um, very similar to Bryn and what she said, our staff that are tier one or are essential, uh, they have to do temperature checks every day. We have to um, wear face masks, uh, kind of uh, linking our university with our athletics department. Our university announced last week that every single person associated with the Ohio State University community will have to sign their acknowledgement pledge. And whether you are a student, a student athlete, a faculty member, an administrator, a professor, a hospital, doctor, nurse, a union laborer, you have to sign this pledge acknowledgement now as well. And you have to wear a mask on campus. And so that's a big transition uh, for our student athletes of always having to wear that mask and what that looks like. Uh, besides our temperature checks, we have a university wellness app that everyone has to uh, take a survey every day and fill out as a member of the campus community, especially when you're coming into campus when you've been approved and when you are phased back into that on-campus working structure. Um, so a lot of similarities probably across the board with that. I think any measure that you can put into place that's going to promote that healthy environment or promote that community to come back, I mean, that that is one of the, um, worst fears of our student athletes and worst fears of students, they say, we don't want you to shut down again. We don't wanna to have to go home again. Uh, so happy that they love being with us so much, but we have to make sure that we're not going too fast and that we're not putting a greater population at risk. Absolutely, there's a shared responsibility. You know, flexibility is critical. Uh, we've talked about the, the lack of national standards or, or requirements. You know, we, we get recommendations from a lot of groups whether that's the NCA, the American uh, College Medical Association, or, or even today, the Knight Commission. Uh, you know, so every time you check your box, there's, there's a new set of, of recommendations and guidelines to compare against what you're doing. Um, like, like you, uh, we began with a plan. Uh, there have been a couple things in our initial plan that we've had to, to modify uh, based on, again, the evolving situation. Um, we said from the beginning, we put a caveat on everything that was expected. I do think it's a little reassuring, or it has been for our community, to see that we're doing what we said we would do. And that is to say, we went into it, for example, and um, phase one, when student athletes arrived back onto campus on June 15th, uh, uh, no locker room access, no shared equipment, groups of 10 or less, social distancing, masks, all those types of things, was... was um, scheduled to last for two weeks. And then there was a phase two and then a phase three and so on. Well, we, we're still in phase one. This is, our four, this is that group's fourth week um, on campus. And, and that's because uh, we followed the data and the new information and the medical professionals decided that we should pause moving into phase two and we did. And so I do think there's something reassuring uh, to our community to see that again, we're, we're, we are actually pausing or pushing, you know, um, slowing things down 
as needed. The group that reported uh, in our second uh, group of student athletes over the weekend, we were gonna bring in 100, we brought in 80 instead. We started our first round of surveillance testing with the initial group that came in. So um, much like each of you, we're, we're building and building. And, and again, we have to respond. I know Bryn, I heard you talking about your plan. And um, you know, one of the things that we didn't anticipate that, that is shaping our plan, and again, we're just trying to manage expectations is when the, when the first group of student athletes arrived on June 15th, we got test results back in about 24 to 48 hours. Uh, now that the testing is ramped up and all these labs are overrun or overwhelmed with tests, we're learning that results can take 72 hours or longer. And so again, we've had to adapt our plan um, to meet you know, infrastructure uh, limitations. And so again, I think just being adaptable, being flexible will be important. Uh, I do want to leave, again, we've got maybe 15 or so minutes before we get to some questions, and there are some questions in the queue here, but let's look ahead a little bit. Um, and again, we don't know the answers to this, and we won't be the ones who decides what, what happens either. But what is the mindset now at this time, based on the information we have available to us? Uh, Diana, starting with you, what's the mindset at The Ohio State University relative to the fall semester for for courses and um, student attendance, as well as fall seasons. What just, where is your head right now? And again, knowing that that may not be where it is tomorrow or a week from now or two weeks from now. Well, I'm gonna quote an epidemiologist that I heard on um, a show recently that said, society wants sports back so bad, but because of society, it's not going to look like what we all want it to be. And so, you know, that rings in my head every day because I think that we are such a, a factor of enjoyment and tradition and established uh, affinities across the country for each institution and our athletic programs. But yet in order for them to be successful, we need our communities to really be successful and to really show that uh, my health is your health and your health is my health and be responsible and make those choices. So at Ohio State right now, our fall will be a hybrid of online and in-classroom uh, participation. Our student athletes will uh, participate like everyone in the student uh, enrollment. Uh, we will have some classes be in traditional settings and some classes be in hotel ballrooms to um, de-densify them and to spread them out. And so there'll be nuances, just like there'll be new nuances in travel and in uh, competitions and in sideline behaviors. And uh, there'll be nuances to the classroom that may, may change learning um, for some time or forever. Uh, you know, really appreciative to how quickly everyone's grasped and um, evolved technology right now. Who knew that we would be doing Zoom all day long every day for I think 17 weeks now. Um, but this is how we're achieving success and a lot is being done successfully. Um, right now, we don't know what that percentage is that will return to campus because they're still working through those numbers. Um, it will not be a full Ohio State population on campus, um, but they've been talking about different hybrid models. So we're still waiting to see what that looks like and how successful and what population will come back to campus. But again, I think it's that societal challenge on how our community, how Columbus, how the state of Ohio um, does with our numbers um, so that we can ensure a safe and well um, atmosphere for everyone. 
Um, what was the second part, Rick? I well, just, you know, fall sports, you know, what, what, yeah. what's the thought process? How are you proceeding? You know, how are you managing that with your coaches, your student athletes in terms of, because everybody wants to know, right? I mean, right. are we playing or not? What's going to happen? When, when do we have to decide? When will we know? And again, we, we've already touched on the fact that so much is either beyond our control or still unknown that, that, that it, it's hard. You know, we're used to in college athletics, I think, controlling things and, and, and sure. you know, <laughs> wanting to know the answer and tell me exactly and yeah. make it black and white. And, and that's just not at all possible now. So what's that environment like, Diana, and how are you navigating that? And, and what are you thinking right now? Yeah, so we, we have weekly head coaches and assistant coachless calls. We encourage our coaches to pull in administrators when meeting with teams on Zoom calls and with parents to really try to outline as best as we can week by week what those expectations are and what questions you have so that we can help you through this process. Right now, we're saying that, yeah, if we are blessed to have a fall season, um, then we're go it's going to look very different. It may uh, look different from a travel perspective. It may not be a night hotel. It may be an in and out situation. It may be whatever it takes to provide that best health environment, which is so different from sport to sport to sport, just even within the fall. And so um, we've asked for a lot of patience. You know, we coaches want to know that their seasons are uh, for fall soccer is starting August 15th. So we're starting August 15th, right? We still don't know that. We ask for patience every day as we try to really, really work through those nuances and um, provide more or less a cornerstone that we talk about every day. And it's just that health and wellness. So we will compete and we want to compete at some level, but we have to make sure that everything we're doing starts with health and wellness and then everything will fall into place. And so, so to your point, so many unknowns, and I wish I could be more clear, or I wish I could have more answers, but we are um, making sure that our student athletes are, uh, have the right nutrition, have the right hydration, and just are getting tested so that we can isolate any, uh, any COVID virus that may come across our campus. And Bryn, what's the fall semester looking like today at the University of Charleston? We're gonna be rocking and rolling it. No, I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm hoping that we are, right? Um, you know, we have our schedules in place and, uh, you know, we're going to play, uh, reduce the number of contests in the fall. We're going to stay, you know, primarily in conference. We'll have some in-season, I'm uh, sorry, some uh, in-region uh, type games, but most of our contests will be in, in conference. And much like Diana said, when we can just go up and back in the same day, that will be our plan, not to have as many hotel stays anything that we can do to try to mitigate that risk. But, you know, what I wrestle with as an AD is, you know, how do I make sure that our student athletes still find this as a quality experience, right? That's always on my mind. I'm always trying to think about like, you know, if I'm an athlete, you know, is this still going to be fun? Is this, is this what I'm looking for? And although we can't do all the things that we've been talking about, you know, like we have in the past, can we still make it a really uh, great experience for those student athletes? So that's the goal, right? And, uh, I think they're going to be so happy to play some competitions in the fall, um, although they'd like to probably play all of all the ones that they would normally be able to play. I think they're going to be happy to just be competing. And so that's where we are today. Obviously, that could change in the next couple of weeks, but uh, we're hoping that we are participating in uh, some type of contest on our campus uh, in, in all of our fall sports. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think you were touching base on, on Rick, was, you know, I think it is kind of that, that village, right, you know, is like, how are we going to, you know, do the things like, you know, sanitizing the equipment and uh, 
you know, cleaning spaces. And so this is where, you know, we've got to be careful not to so overwork our coaches, but they're going to have to be a part of that solution and making sure that these things happen. So everyone's going to have to really step up their A game this year. And uh, we don't have the staffing line. My president just say, hey, Brian, you got an extra, you know, $500,000 to hire people to sanitize your balls and, uh, you know, do the things that you need to do. So we're going to have to take on those responsibilities in athletics if we want to have those fall contests. So, um, you know, you know, to the point that you were making is, you know, I think it's really important that we just, you know, utilize our staffs in, in a way um, that's really efficient. But just that they know that if they're going to have sports, they're going to go probably that extra mile this fall. Well, to, to both of your points, again, from a timing perspective, we're, we're getting closer and closer to having conflicting priorities and conflicting realities converge and decisions needed to be made, right? And by that, I mean, and I'm generalizing. Um, but I think generally we're hearing and you're hearing from student athletes, we want to compete. We want to do it safely and we want to know what that looks like, right? And we want to have a voice where it's appropriate in shaping that, but we want to compete. Um, and I think our coaches and administrators share that. We're, we're also though hearing, I think, you know, from faculty and staff who maybe are, are concerned. And it's not, you know, about whether that's the classroom experience or, uh, hosting events or uh, whatever all it might be, right? And so there's a little bit of conflicting priorities that are, that are starting to develop. And then there's these conflicting realities, right? Where um, is this about cost and revenue? No, but are those factors? Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's a cost to doing everything we've talked about. And there's a cost to creating a safe environment. Diane alluded to it. And whether you have the resources or not, there are certain things that all of us are going to want to do and be obligated to do to ensure health and safety. Um, and then obviously that conflicts with the reality that we may or may not have seasons. We may or may not have fans in the stands or at least at full capacity. Um, and by the way, just as we experienced in the, in the winter um, and the spring, we won't know if we're gonna have a season until the season's complete. I mean, right. we really won't know game one, we won't know game six, we won't know game 10. We'll know when the season's complete that we had a season. And this, so this is going to be the environment that all of us are going to be navigating and, and operating in and leading in um, for the foreseeable future. And I think the reality that we all have to accept is we're not gonna satisfy everybody. Uh, we're just not gonna be able to do that. And so as these decisions approach, um, is there anything other than what you've already described, I guess, what, what, will, what will you really look to, uh, whether that's an individual or group of individuals or values that you hold uh, or principles, you know, how will you make these decisions, knowing that some of them aren't ours, but the ones we control, you know, what will kind of guide you and what will you continue to point to and come back to as we, as we go forward? Because a lot of these decisions that need to be made, these are the 60-40 decisions. These, these, are, these aren't the easy ones, you know, the 80-20s. Um, so, Brent, starting with you, as the athletics director at the University of Charleston and the person ultimately who's going to be looked at, you know, responsible 
for the, the young men and women, the sons and daughters in our care. Um, how are you going to do that? What, what's going to be the, the one thing you're going to kind of maybe lean on as we go forward? Yeah, I think we touched base on it just a little bit earlier is, you know, just really reaching out to our medical people to make sure that they believe, you know, because we in athletics always think we're, you know, doing things the best and we're working hard. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's our, just our work ethic, right? But I think is, is what do our medical, you know, our team physician, you know, our athletic trainers and, and folks that maybe don't have quite the same vested interests as others do in athletics is what, what are they seeing? And, and do they feel like we have the right things in place? And are we keeping those things at the forefront? Like, I think it's easy in the beginning here. I think, you know, our student athletes will wear their masks, you know, they'll make that effort to social distance, but will they be doing that in October? Will they be doing that in December? You know, uh, you know, well, they do it for a long enough period of time. And, you know, how do we keep that going where there's going to become, I think that as much as they want to be on our campuses, where they're going to get tired of wearing those masks, you know, and uh, I was sharing earlier about, you know, flying out to California and uh, I had my mask on for 15 hours straight, you know, that was tough, you know, it was tough having a mask on that long, but I wanted to do that to protect myself and those around me. And I think our athletes will do that, but we're going to have to just really make sure that we're able to, keep that at the forefront. So I know I segued off a little bit off your question, uh, Rick, but I, I think it's just uh, really important to just keep in contact with our medical professionals and, and let them help us to guide us where we need to be. Yeah, segues are encouraged. This is all about valuable and meaningful information. So if I ask the wrong question, that's on me. You give the right <laughs> answer. Don't worry about my question. Uh, Diana, how about you? What, what would you like to add? Brynn, very well put with um, the medical experts, of course. I think when we make our decisions with our student athletes at the forefront, we always make a good decision. It may not always be popular. It's sometimes bold, but when it can be justified for health and wellness. And if we play or if we don't play, the backbone of this is it's a serious virus and people are dying and we have to make the bold decisions. And um, yeah, they're gonna be strong and hard choices. Uh, but it's our mission, it's our values that are always gonna guide us. And I think in times of crisis, you have to go back to those and then lean into those experts, lean into someone who has uh, maybe a better handle on it or, who's, or who has a little bit more knowledge in it or maybe someone who's a little bit ahead of the curve and has already done it. Um, we had a lot of people um, lean into Ohio State when we put out our acknowledgement pledge and just wanna know the process of it. So be transparent, be sharing so that we can all grow and we can all get better. Wow. Great responses. Um, I don't have I don't have anything to add there. Again, we're all looking through different lenses, and I think collaboration, you know, listening, uh, taking the time to get input, all those things are going to continue to be of utmost importance as we move forward. Uh, it's going to be a tricky balance, but I know that uh, those of you on the panel and those of you in the audience, um, you know the purpose and why we do what we do, and I know that we'll uh, we'll get it right. All right, I've got, uh, I'm going to shift over to some of the questions and topics that may take us. Um, maybe, maybe we'll need to elaborate a little bit on things we've touched upon. Maybe it'll be something new. Um, you know, I, I would say generally, as I look, look at a, a couple of the first ones here, um, and I'll speak for myself, it seems like the two of you, your, your forms, getting back to the actual waivers or acknowledgement forms or pledges, um, I acknowledge that ours reads more like a legal document. That is to say, but I, I'm not sure that it will actually matter 
um, if it comes to that. So I don't know how binding it is. I don't know that that was really a lot of the intent. Um, I think I touched on earlier, we're just trying to um, bring attention to the environment that we're operating in and, and uh, have some acknowledgement that this is an unprecedented time. There's a question if we'd be willing to share our documents. I mean, I think mine and Diana's is out there. Um, yeah, as a state institution, um, you can find ours on our website and I can certainly send it out to anyone individually, but we're very uh, public and uh, it's been very present during COVID for everything that gets requested and FOIA'd all the time. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, even though we're private, we, again, ours is out there. We've, you know, Diana mentioned transparency. We've tried to be as transparent as possible with all of this. And um, so you can find ours as well. We were somehow... And I say somehow, because again, we, we got the idea from a number of others and we actually got a template that we used from another institution who I think got it from another institution. But we were out there with Ohio State um, as kind of the outliers early on. And so um, the media has a copy of ours. Brent, if you have a document, I don't know if that's something you would share with Bob or Katie uh, and, or how we might circulate that among the membership. Yeah, I'd be happy to share with Bob and Kate. And, and also, you know, if you just want to email me uh, at the University of Charleston, I'm happy to send you. Ours is kind of the same thing, I think, Rick, where we've uh, pieced it together from looking at other documents and, uh, you know, took what uh, we thought fit our university the best. And uh, so that's, I think, how we came up with ours. I don't think we reinvented the wheel there. So, uh, you know, just like good coaches, we like to try to steal when we can. And so I think we've kind of pieced ours together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Second kind of topic here, I guess. Um, how will the cancellation of major events in your communities impact your decision-making process? And so uh, before I ask you to answer that, I think all of us acknowledge that as other institutions or athletics programs announce decisions, um, you know, if, if, if our decisions are contrary to that, then there's absolutely gonna be some political and, and um, social pressure to follow suit. I think we were expecting maybe some announcements even as early as tomorrow that could start those dominoes falling. So um, Brent, start with you. How will you monitor what's going on in your local community and how, how will that impact the universities and the athletics department's plans? Yeah, I think that our, our community has been, um, you know, pretty intentional about how they've opened up and, and the activities that are going on. And we're a much more rural area so it is like a much easier to do compared to like a New York City to do the social distancing and, and things that we need to have in effect but we will obviously be keeping tabs on what's going on in the community and and you know what things get canceled and, and looking at those as we well as to what other institutions are you know thinking about you know um, not having NC classes in the fall and as we look at you know yesterday's announcement with some of the Ivy League schools and, and what they're doing um, you know, those are always going to be things that we have to go, our decision, like you said, Rick, might be contrary to theirs, but, you know, why and, and how do we still do all the things that we want to in a safe manner? So uh, we're always looking at that information. Uh, I work for a great president who, uh, you know, that's, he's always out there and, and searching and, and really wanting to make sure that we in uh, Charleston, West Virginia are making the right decisions for our university. We're a small private school, so we depend on those athletes. You know, they're, they're part of our enrollment, and uh, they're precious to us. But we don't want to bring them back if we can't keep them safe, right? So we've got to figure out how do we do that and, uh, and 
be uh, steadfast in our desire to make sure that we are always putting them first. I think Diana mentioned that, you know, we're, if, I think if you keep them first, you'll make the right decisions. Diana? You know, for us in the city of Columbus, um, next week is the Memorial Golf, the GP, uh, PGA uh, golf tournament and uh, that was to be open to the public and it was just announced yesterday that that will not be a public event and that is because of the management and how we are handling the virus in Columbus, Ohio. So that was um, definitely a sit up straight moment and really uh, we have weekly calls with our uh, local health officials uh, on campus and within our city. Uh, we have calls weekly with um, the Browns and the Bengals and some professional sport organizations. Not that we have a lot of commonalities because we have student athletes, they have professionals obviously, but there are um, cornerstones of principles and cornerstones of how they're handling the virus that we could take from or that we could build from. And I think um, that's one of the uh, you know, I would encourage you to reach out because maybe there's just something that is beneficial to your uh, institution and to your athletics department that's going to um, be like an aha moment or something that can make you say, oh, wow, you know, um, we, we're listening, we're listening every day, but everything that happens around us is definitely going to infect us or uh, impact us, I should say. Uh, you know, we were, we were told last week by health officials on Friday before the 4th of July that you need to plan as your fall season start cascading that we don't allow you to have fans into your season. So you could start the season with a greatly reduced population with six feet of physical distancing, but as the season goes on, that may abruptly come to an end and what will you do and how will you handle that? So it's always having that next step of a proactive plan um, and realizing that even what you think is right at that moment can change and be flipped in a heartbeat. And so that's hard and that takes really a lot of um, deliberate and intentional dedication, but just don't get tired and keep at it. Well, and it takes a lot of patience, which is something many of us don't have. And, <laughs> you know, and, and the ability to just acknowledge that we don't know. And right. that, again, things will be different. Uh, Diana, what was the, the comment you made about society, the relationship between sports and society? Can you, do you yeah, Society wants sports back so badly but because of societal behaviors, it won't come back to what level or how they've expected it to be or what they've gotten used to or how they built their family traditions around. And so because of society's practices right now, it's going to in impact all of us. I, I keep wanting to say infect because we're well, living I in this infectious environment, so yeah. sorry, um, but it will impact all of us at this great level. And, and to Bryn's point, you know, throughout today, it's that student athlete experience and your heart breaks and bleeds for them because you want it to be at this optimum level. But because of what we need to do now, um, there's gonna be compromises. And so we don't like to say sacrifices, but we say, what will be the trade-off? What will be um, something you're willing to set aside so you can achieve greatness at a higher level of health and wellness? And, and I bring, I asked you to repeat that because I think, again, it's, it's an interesting um, situation because I, when, when you, the question was about cancellation of events and you, you referenced the golf tournament, I mean, the behavior of society does play a significant role in right. how the fall goes forward, right? I mean, it just does. Uh, and whether that means the behaviors leading into the fall, you know, for instance, in Dallas right now, if we had a game Saturday, there wouldn't be fans here. But could there be fans here in two months? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, that'll be determined by the behaviors leading up to the next two months as well as, and a result of that, how the, the community feels, how safe they feel 
going to a, a game. And so everyone does have a role to play. Uh, there are compromises that need to be made in order for us to achieve it. Uh, and so, again, it's, so it's hard. I know all, right now we're in a mindset of how, would we, how will we do this? But, again, two weeks ago we felt good about it, and in two more weeks we might feel good about it again. So uh, there is some control that, that we have here. All right, uh, real quickly, try to use the last few minutes together as best we can. A couple questions about enforcing mask or face coverings and dealing with um, individuals who have a health issue. You know, I think uh, on behalf of the group, that's a tough one. You know, we're just kind of do the best we can. I think it helps when governors mandate these things. And, uh, but, but at some point to my, my previous statement, this becomes a being a good community member kind of uh, topic. You know, if it's best for you and the, and the health and safety of others and you want to see sports, then, you know, that's something I think the CDC, at least again today, based on the evidence, um, says is at the top of the list as it relates to how we control this disease and, and keep people healthy. So we'll just have to do the best we can with it. Um, it's interesting, it, Rick, I'm ahead. sorry, but yeah. it's interesting in society when you look and you think, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but there used to be signs on businesses that would say, no shirt, no shoes, no service. And no one would think twice about that. Or you wouldn't just walk into an establishment without shoes on and think you're going to be able to sit down and have dinner. But now um, there's this tremendous dichotomy with wearing a face mask. So it it's sometimes seems very reasonable, but then takes is taken to unreasonable levels. So it's just interesting how that's evolving. It is. Brand, you have something to add? Well, one thing that I was just going to add uh, was, as I'm talking with both uh, Rick and, and, and Diana here today, is that we have so much more in common than I thought even, you know, as I was, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to have in common with these you know, two much larger, you know, universities. But as we're talking through what things you all are putting in place on your campus, it is exactly what we're trying to do on a small uh, private division two uh, campus in a rural area. So uh, I think there's much more in common that we have than, than there are differences um, as we approach this. And so uh, that was kind of refreshing as I'm working with you guys to learn that today. Well, it's a good point, Brent. It's a good, good transition for me to, to wrap us up here. I mean, we all, all of us in college athletics and higher education, when it comes to health and safety, um, that cuts across all divisions and um, it's something we all share in common. We can all learn from one another. So you know, I really appreciate it. I think, you know, a couple of times I've thought back to, you know, back uh, and I'm dating myself now, but Magic Johnson and, and um, you know, we, our trainers used to run out onto the court or the field or whatever it is. They didn't have gloves on, you know, they didn't, if somebody was bleeding, they'd play on. And, you know, we made some, um, adjustments uh, for out of health and safety concerns. And now uh, I don't think people think twice about the fact that if you have blood, you come out, you get cleaned off, the trainers have gloves on. You know, this could be a, another example for how actually, you know, this, some elements of this could become permanent and long-term and really help to protect the health and safety of everyone, staff, student athletes, spectators, um, in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise imagined or, or contemplated. So it's a, it's a really tough time. Right before I turn it back over to Bob, I just again want to thank um, my distinguished guests and panelists. Uh, unbelievable. Learned a lot from you. Um, I want to thank everyone who's uh, in the audience today uh, for what you do 
uh, on a day-to-day basis uh, the sacrifices that you make um, to try to, again, invest and pour into these sons and daughters that have been entrusted in our care. So I wish everybody good health. I wish everybody well as uh, we continue to navigate this unprecedented and uncertain and challenging time. So take care of yourself and one another. And Bob, I turn it back over to you. Thanks, Rick. And Brennan, Diana, great job. Appreciate your leadership. A couple takeaways. Number one, uh, Bryn said uh, what you said was prophetic from NACTA's perspective. Um, you have so much in common going in. You didn't think there was some, there would be so many um, connection points, but there is. And that's what NACTA does. We bring everybody together. And, uh, you know, the, we're servicing student athletes. We're providing a higher education and, you know, young people come in at 18 year old as kids and they leave as adults. We all have that in common. So thank you for saying that. Um, on a funny note, uh, you know, we're always looking for new revenue models. And um, Rick, I like that COVID contest, you know, the COVID cup. That might not be a bad thing. Uh, something to think about. Um, uh, but, but seriously, as, as, as we shared earlier off screen, uh, you know, we're continuing to try to be topical. NACTA wants to provide platforms like this next week we're going to come we're going to have a a similar session that's going to be developing and executing diversity and inclusion plans again things that you know we need to talk about we need to share there are no new ideas folks it's all about sharing and you guys did a great job today so thank you so much be safe out there and hopefully we'll see most of you next week take care all right. thanks everybody thank you very much bye be safe yeah take care